Good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 8 as we continue our Daniel series um, this week. Uh, Daniel's book for us has served as a reminder uh, for the people of Israel that God is in control, uh, that their nation would one day be restored, and Daniel drives home the point that God's people are to remain faithful no matter how difficult circumstances get. Isn't that a perfect, this is like a perfect book for us right now as all the difficult things that we've had to deal with this year of COVID and elections and and everything that's gone on in 2020 has been difficult. But the more important thing is that God has been faithful. And today when we look at Daniel 8, uh, we're going to see just how faithful he is in in preparing us for things that were going to happen and how he's going to prepare us for the future. Uh, A little bit of a recap. Daniel 1 uh, laid the foundation that Daniel and his three friends resolved to remain faithful to God no matter what. And that's what the same thing is for us, is that our hearts to follow God before a trial arises. Because once the trial already happens, it's hard to kind of backstep and go, oh, now I need God. No, you want to have God before that trial arises, before it happens in your life. Um, and we've had this um, chiastic structure, uh, if we can show that as just a recap of what we've done. And we can look at um, chapters 2 and 7. They demonstrated for us that God is in control of the nations. The kings and, and all the, these kings, they're subject to God. We can have kings and after king after king after president after president, ruler after ruler, but they're all subject to God. They're all going to have to answer to God in a way that that God's going to say, what did you do for my people? How did you lead my people? What did you do? Chapters 3 and 6 revealed the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends in do-or-die situations. Chapters 4 and 5 demonstrated humility, the idol of pride. It's important for us to remember that earthly kings and kingdoms, presidents, they come and go. But our God is always going to remain faithful. So we've moved past this chaotic structure, and now we're into chapter 8. We move past that portion, and we move into this stage of Israel uh, and what lies in its future. That's going to be our focus is Israel and what's going to happen to them. So we see another vision here in chapter 8. And if your Bible is like headlined, it says a vision of a ram and a goat. And if you go down a little bit, it says the little horn. So if you're like me and you see that, you're like, all right, God, what's today got in store for me? What in the world am I going to learn from a ram? What am I going to learn from a goat? And what the heck is a little horn got to do with scripture at all? When we decided this, we were actually going to just do the Daniel series in November and be done with it. But we said we can't fit the entire book of Daniel in one month. So we restructured it. And I got tasked with chapter 8, and I, so I went home, I read it, and I was like, all right, um, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. No. I'm actually excited about it because I like the fact that as I was reading it, I may have been so confused, but it led me to go, God, what are you teaching me? God, what are you going to teach me, and how are you going to use me to teach this chapter? And I think that's important is, is that your pastor is also learning something new at the same time that you are. 
that he's getting new, new things out of Scripture. It just shows that no matter how many times that we read the Bible, you can always pick something up out of it. You're going to be at a different stage in your life when you read something. You're going to be in different areas. So it's not just okay to go, I read the Bible once, I'm done, I can put it away. No, read it and read it and read it because you're always going to be learning something. And that's what happened to me. So once again, I believe that Scripture has something to teach all of us. Sometimes it's obvious. And it just jumps out at you and goes, this is what I mean. And sometimes you've got to sit here and you've got to go, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me understand this passage. Help me understand the things that you want to teach me. That God is trying to teach me. What does it mean for the audience at the time? What does it mean for me now? And we're going to look at that, what, what the Holy Spirit does exactly uh, later on in our message. Before we jump into Scripture um, and we read it, let's take a moment to pray for our hearts to be open this morning to it. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to teach exactly what your word says. God, be with those that are in person, those that are online. God, that you open our hearts this morning, no matter how confusing the, the passage may be, no matter how confusing it seems to be, God, that you will teach us something and that we could have it affect our hearts to where we can minister to others. God, speak to us through your word this morning in your name. Amen. So if you look at our chapter, it's about 27 verses. And in, in the first 14 verses, it's split right in half, this chapter. The first 14 verses give you the vision that Daniel receives. And then the 15 through 27, it gives us the interpretation of the vision. So let's look at Daniel 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, a vision appeared to me. Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me earlier, I saw the vision, and as I watched, I was in the fortress city of Susa, in the province of Elam. I saw the vision that I was beside the Eula Canal. I looked up, and there was a ram standing beside the canal. He had two horns. The two horns were long, but one was longer than the other. And the longer one came up last. I saw the ra a ram charging to the west the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and there was no rescue from his power. He did whatever he wanted and became great. As I was observing, a male goat appeared, coming from the west, across the surface of the entire earth, without touching the ground. The goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the tor toward the two-horned ram, I had seen standing beside the canal and rushed at him with savage fury. I saw him approaching the ram and infiltrated with him. He struck the ram, breaking his two horns, and the ram was not strong enough to stand against him. The goat threw him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat acted even more arrogantly, but when he became powerful, the large horn was broken. Four conspicuous horns came up in its place, pointing to the four winds of heaven. All right, if you're confused, so am I, because we're going to see so many different things here. But in chapter 7, if we remember back to chapter 7, 
we see Daniel receive a vision of the four kingdoms. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Well, all that chapter 8 really is doing now is it's focusing in on Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome in more detail. But it also, and we'll discover this here in a minute, that it's really more importantly that we see the rise of Antioch the Fourth. Antioch the Fourth, an anti, an antichrist type ruler, and we'll see exactly how that affects God's people. But let's look at this vision in detail. We see the rise of Medo-Persia being represented by the ram. So if you picture the ram, you picture Medo-Persia, and it's it's really cool because Medo-Persia actually used a ram in their battles. So it goes perfect right along with it, right along with Medo-Persia and the ram. But we see that this is two uh, kingdoms, two horns. One is longer than the other, and the longer one actually came up after, showing that, it, that while Persia took a while to get to its dominance, it was stronger than Meda. So that's why it's longer, because it's more powerful. It took a while to get there, but it is more dominant. No one could stop the ram. I mean, it was going east, west, everywhere. It was going everywhere. It was attacking every single kingdom, taking over. It appears to be indestructible. It appeared to be indestructible. Until God, of course, as we saw earlier, that God is going to rise up kings. He's going to rise up kingdoms, but he's also going to tear them down. So I picture, I picture me to Persia as the, if you know me, I love sports. I picture them as the 2007 New England Patriots. The 2007 New England Patriots... This team, if you know football, this team was stacked. They had Tom Brady. They had a great defense in Teddy Bruschi and Sante Samuel and Ty Law. This team was unstoppable. They went 16-0. 16-0 in the regular season, got the bye week, won two games, got to the Super Bowl. 18-0. They're ready to match the Dolphins, have this perfect season, won the Super Bowl. And if you remember the Super Bowl, you remember a guy named David Tyree on the New York Giants. Minute left in the game, catches a 32-yard pass on the side of his helmet and goes down and it's like, oh, the unthinkable's about to happen. This team that is stacked is about to get beat. And they go in and they win the game, the Giants. Call them the Giant Slayers if you want. That's what they did. And this is the same thing that we see right here in Scripture. We see the next kingdom come in. We see the rise of Greece, and we see the rise of Alexander the Great. We see that. The male goat, represented as a goat. Uh, so if you think of Greece, you think of the goat. It came so fast that it doesn't even touch the ground. I mean, this goat is full steam, full fury, ready to go. And, and what that means is how fast it was moving. Alexander the Great came to power quickly. He came to power very quickly. Took over. And I mean, he made some quick work of the Persian Empire. He said, I'm taking you down. No one's going to be able to rescue you. No one's going to be able to stop what I've got in store for you. But verse 8 then tells us that the longer horn breaks. Alexander the Great would die. It's a very short-lived kingdom. It doesn't last long. But more importantly, while it may have been short, 
four kingdoms end up coming to rise from it. We see these generals go out into other kingdoms. We see them create other areas. But before we ever get to that of Rome and things like that, we're going to focus on the little horn. So the little horn would grow um, into... But wait, hold on. We've got to read verses 9. Let's go into the little horn. So picking up in verse 9. From one of them, a little horn emerged and grew extensively toward the south and the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew as high as the heavenly army, made some of the army and some of the stars fall into the earth and trampled them. It acted arrogantly, even against the prince of the heavenly army. It revoked his regular sacrifice and overthrew the place of his sanctuary. In the rebellion, the army was given up together with the regular sacrifice. The horn threw truth to the ground and was successful in what it did. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another, one, another holy one said to the speaker, how long will the events of this vision last? The regular sacrifice, the rebellion that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary into the army of the uh, to be trampled. He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary be, will be restored. So we see this picture of the little horn where it grows out, and it would grow toward the south, Egypt. It would grow toward the east in Persia, and then to the beautiful land of Israel. The little horn would represent Antioch IV. He would reign for about 12 years and spend pretty much all of those persecuting God's people. The persecution of those seven years, he would grow in power and pride. He felt that, what he, was, that he was closing in on equality with God. In return, he would begin to stop daily worship of sacrifice and destroy the place of God. He threw truth, God's word, to the ground, counting it as worthless. This would continue for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary would be restored. Isn't it wild that Daniel is receiving this vision in about 550 BC, and the rise and fall of these, these three kings actually takes place from 331 BC to 145 BC? Isn't it wild that Daniel is seen in writing this hundreds of years in advance? It's truly amazing what God to happen, and he is going to reveal. He's going to reveal it. So we look at key point number one, and we look that God knows the future. God knows the future. God knows exactly what's taking place. He gave this vision to Daniel in, chapter, in, in 550 BC. He said, hey, this is what's going to take place. This is what's going to take place in the future. And it's also amazing that God is still doing that today. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. God knows what's going to happen in years. God knows these things. But the thing is, God doesn't just leave us in the dark. He doesn't leave us in the dark while he's preparing us for what is to come. Just as he prepared Daniel what is going to come, he's going to tell Daniel what to do how to prepare for it, how to be ready for it.